amongst my friends. It's always good to have friends. Numbers chapter 20. There's a lot of angry people in the world today. Amen? Folks are kind of out of control. Breaking things and setting things on fire. Marching and cussing and screaming and road raging. People getting all bent out of shape on planes. It's just kind of getting crazy out there. One author calls our culture an anger culture. We've come to a place where throwing a tantrum has been accepted as legitimate self-expression. But that's okay. That's what you do when things don't go your way. But when you think about anger... Can you think of one situation where anger played out well? It produced something good. And I'm not talking about anger at the devil. That's legit. But anger at a friend, at your wife, at the world. The truth of the matter is anger generally ends badly. People end up in jail, people end up in the hospital, people end up dead. Because anger really, ultimately, never produces anything good. Dallas Willard says anger is the most fundamental problem in human life, and I'm not sure whether that's a legitimate statement or not, but obviously here's a man, he's a pastor, he's actually dead now, but... When he wrote it, clearly, in his experience, anger was a a ubiquitous problem. It was pretty much everywhere. And so he says this is foundational in the problems of humanity. I want to look at a great life that was ultimately derailed by anger. That's the life of Moses. Let's look at Numbers 20, beginning with verse 7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray this evening it will penetrate and it will confront and it will deal with us where we live and we will be faithful to hear your word. I pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because each one of us, God, is capable of great anger. I pray that you'll help us to make the adjustments in the way we think about life, the way we think about you, 
the way we think about all those around us. And help us, God, uh, to uh, attenuate our anger and uh, to deal with it according to your word. And I pray this evening, if there's anyone here that isn't saved, uh, you'll convict them, you'll draw them to the altar, and you'll do that wonderful work of grace that transforms our lives, our nature, our character, and brings us into the presence of God and eternal life. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, uh, amen. Moses was a, a very spiritual man. He was courageous. He was a man of prayer. He clearly connected with God. He was a prophet. He was the lawgiver. This is a man with a great spiritual resume. And yet, there is an interesting dimension to Moses that you might miss in the lengthy story of his life if you don't step back and see the way it is a recurring issue, that it is a central issue in a number of stories in Moses' life. Moses comes on the scene uh, as a young adult, uh, as the Pharaoh's adopted son, and he's out one day. Listen, Exodus 2, 11 and 12, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, don't mistake that story as a story of a noble action, a, a healthy and a righteous indignation towards an injustice. This was an Egyptian abusing the fellow Jew, his brother. And so, of course, uh, he would react this way. But that really, when you think it through, isn't the case. Because at this point, he is Pharaoh's adopted son. Killing this man was completely over the top and unnecessary. He had the authority of Pharaoh. All he had to do was say to this Egyptian, stop that. And that would have put an end to it. And if he really wanted to make an example of him, he could have said, you're fired. But he didn't have to kill him. And he does this knowing that he's about to do this. I get a feeling... Uh, that he'd been watching this for a while and it had been building up. How many of you know that anger kind of accumulates? And one thing leads to another and another and then there's the explosion. And so maybe Moses had been contemplating this for a while, but it finally comes out in this context. He looks around and realizes, you know what, I am not going to be uh, I, I'm not going to be in trouble for this. There's not going to be consequences. Nobody sees me. And he kills the guy and buries him in the sand. Of course, he was wrong because there are always consequences to unchecked anger. Always. It's an inescapable fact of life. This may have set the plan of God back 40 years who knows? Maybe God wanted to very soon in this young man's life. He's in a position of power. Maybe uh, his influence at that point could have been uh, much greater on Pharaoh, and he could have got the people of Israel out of Egypt that much quicker. 
but his anger causes him to have to leave, and we don't know, it's speculation. But it might have cost the entire plan of God 40 years. Later, he's leading Israel out of Egypt, 40 years. And the Israelites have a bit of a spiritual breakdown. And Moses goes up on the mountain, and uh, they become impatient, and so we know the story. They fall into idolatry, and uh, they're dancing before the golden calf. Moses comes down off the mountain, and Exodus 32, 19, it says, So it was, as soon as he named he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot. And he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Now these tablets were tablets that God had inscribed with his finger. These are not just fine works of art. This is not just you know, something, uh, a piece of pottery that, that should have been preserved. This is holy. This is God's finger. This is miraculous. This is sacred. But in a fit of moment, a fit, in a fit of anger, in a moment of time, Moses destroys a sacred thing. You can destroy a sacred thing in a matter of seconds. And he smashes the tablets, and they are irrecoverable. And Moses has to go back up on the mountain, and the second time around, God says, you write them. A little manual labor is good for the soul. But the original tablets written by the finger of God, that's a pretty rare thing to have, is destroyed in a moment of Moses' anger. There are other outbursts recorded involving complaining and rebellion and various reactions on Moses' part. And Sometimes his anger was a reflection of the anger of God and sometimes just his own reaction to his situation. Well, we come to this story, we come to this place where he smites the rock in his anger. He's mad at these people. He's weary of them. They have incited him. And so in a fit of anger, he smites the rock. This was an opportunity for God to be glorified. You don't hear God saying to Moses in this context, you know, these people are really wearing me out. He is concerned about their legitimate need for water. And he says, listen, take that rod, which is a symbol of your authority in me, speak to the rock and I'll be glorified and water will come out. But Moses says these interesting words, must I bring water out of the rock for you? So clearly his perception has been twisted. He's not thinking straight and in anger. This is all the consequence of anger. He smites the rock twice. Water comes forth because God's a wonderful God of grace. But then he pulls Moses aside and says, that was it. That was the last straw. You're not going into the promised land. Now, you might draw small comfort from this. You might say, well, look, even Moses, the mighty man of God, had a problem with his temper. But what I want you to take away from this is every act of anger has its consequences. Everything you do in anger 
is going to bring something back on you, probably unexpected. Certainly not something you're planning on, counting on, or trying to create. Every act of anger has its consequence. So let's drill down into this problem just a little bit more. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, I know in one method of interpretation, the sin that ensnares us could be your particular vulnerability. But I was thinking about anger, and I was thinking how universal it is. And I was thinking about how easily we are ensnared by anger. I'm not sure if the author of Hebrews had that in mind, but I do believe that it is applicable. That this is the sin that so easily ensnares us. Anger seems to be the default response in so much of life. It just comes on so easily. It comes on when our will is crossed. It comes on when we feel we aren't getting the respect we deserve. Or when we feel threatened in any way. When we are lied to. When we are told the truth, but we don't want to hear it. When we are frustrated. When we suffer injustice. When we are betrayed. When we are disappointed. When we lose, when our team loses, when we are ignored, when we are inconvenienced, when we are slandered, when we are uh, 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 cheated, when someone disagrees with us, when someone disagrees with our God, when we get hurt. Am I boring you? I could go on for probably another 20 minutes invoking all of the different situations that we react to with anger. It's this default response. All you got to do is add just a little gas and you got fire. All you got to do is present just a, a small, petty problem. And you can have a war. Amen. You can have irrevocable damage. I'm looking at the politics of anger all around me. Everybody's ticked. We can't get anything done in this country because every, everybody's ticked. Everybody's mad at everybody. I mean, you know, I read a lot of statements where they're talking about civil war. Listen, we've already done that. It wasn't good. Civil war isn't going to help anything, but there's a lot of angry people that are saying, well, that's exactly what we should do. Just kill the suckers. Just kill them. I'm looking at an angry culture. I'm looking at an angry generation. There is anger in our homes. There is anger in our churches. 
There's anger on the job. Everywhere we go, there is anger because it's the sin that so easily ensnares us. Because before we've even thought about it, we're in it. And I think one of the main reasons why it is so easy to step into anger, which is a sin, is because it's always justified in our minds. Every act of anger is self-justifying. I wouldn't be mad if you hadn't done something wrong. I am justified in my anger because of something you've done, something you've said, some situation in my life that isn't fair, and that justifies this response. So anger is always self-justifying. You will never... Catch yourself heating up and thinking, wait a minute, I have no right to be angry. Wait a minute, this anger isn't going to end well. Wait a minute, I shouldn't be going there. You don't do that. As your temperature rises, you immediately say, oh, oh, you didn't say that. Oh, 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 really? And, and we're off to the races. That quickly because we're not going to let anybody get away with that. It's always self-justifying. No matter how far-fetched someone's rationale for anger may appear to me, it is perfectly logical to the person who's angry. Because they're convinced that they're right and I'm wrong. Anger is never justified. Some of you right now are thinking, well, lighten up, lamb. Everybody gets angry. Yeah, we're all sinners. And we're all going to hell without Jesus Christ. So I'm not sure that's a really good argument. Wait a minute, lamb. You just, you know, what's all the fuss about? We all get angry. All I can say is that according to the Bible, Anger is a work of the flesh. The Bible says very clearly in Galatians 5.20 that outbursts of wrath are a work of the flesh. Well, you counter with your theological wisdom and you say, well, didn't Paul say be angry and sin not? Doesn't that mean that anger without sin is possible? Yes, I suppose it is technically. We don't really know what it means, though, to be angry and sin not, because we never do that. Amen. We really can't define what it means to be angry and to sin not. Contextually, we draw from it the idea not to let the sin go, not to let uh, uh, the day go down on your wrath, the sun go down on your wrath. So does that mean it's okay to be angry until midnight? Does that mean it's all right to be angry till dusk, that I can shoot you before sundown? But after sundown, uh, no, now my anger is sinful. I want to tell you something. If you're honest with yourself, your anger is generally sinful the moment it appears. Because it is purely self-indulgent. 
It is never really about the honor of God. Not even when you're arguing scripture. Come on. You're getting ticked because they won't see it your way. It's not a deep concern for their soul, you stupid Mormon. It is your own ego being assaulted by the fact that why can't this idiot see it the way I see it? The truth of the matter is, beloved, being angry and sinning not, I believe when Paul wrote that, he was throwing a challenge down. Because just a couple of short verses later, he writes these words. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. There goes the idea that it's okay to be angry because he says, get, get rid of it. It shouldn't be a part of your life. Moses sinned in a moment. It didn't take him all day to beat that poor Egyptian to death. Boom, he just did it that fast. But that was enough to set things in motion that were inescapable. He didn't take all day to break up the tablets. He didn't work on them with a little hammer and chisel. In just a second of time, boom, he threw them down and did irrevocable damage. He wasn't planning all day long to go out, smite the rock, and yell at his people. That was just something that came out of him. He looked at his people. They had been pushing him. He didn't deal with it correctly. He didn't bring it before the Lord and repent. He just let that thing well up inside of him. And in a flash of anger, he smote the rock. And that absolutely destroyed his destiny. That one moment of anger. You can say, well, it was because he stole the glory of God. Yeah, but why did he do that? Because he was ticked. Because he wasn't thinking straight. Because his emotions had taken over in the moment. Job 5 verse 2 says, Wrath kills a foolish man. And envy slays a simple one. Wrath kills a foolish man. He's just making a black blanket statement here. He's saying, you want to know where wrath will get you? It'll get you dead. Psalms 37, 8, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. That's the Bible. That's the Holy Spirit-inspired word of God. It only produces harm. It never does anything good. Your anger always produces harmful consequences. Proverbs 17, 14. The, be the beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. He says that when you start letting this stuff out, it's a flood. You open the flood. Just last week, they had floods in Arizona that killed seven people. They're just down there enjoying life, uh, swimming off the heat of the day, never expecting a problem, and in that 
Flash of a moment. They call it a flash flood. Boom! All seven of them are dead. Just like that. That's what anger is. Anger is a flash flood. Anger is an inner power escaping its bounds. Boom! It's an explosion. Boom! It's a flood. And then you're there, and you're looking at the damage, and you're looking at the broken relationships, and you're looking perhaps at a dead body, hopefully not. You're looking at uh, months, years of, uh, of investment gone. Now you've lost your job. Now you're going to jail. Just because in a moment of time, you let the floodgates open and it got away from you. There are always consequences to anger, always. Write that down. If you get nothing else from this sermon, just get this one thought. There are always consequences to anger. It can be an angry word, but that angry word has just set something in place. That angry word to your spouse, that thing just set something in place. Now your spouse doesn't trust you. Now your spouse doesn't believe you when you say you love them. Now your spouse feels guilt. Now your spouse feels shame. They don't even want to approach you. They can't get near to you. You have just some, set something in motion. Why is there so much, so much frigidness in my home? Well, because there's a whole lot of anger there. And you have taken something that is truly sacred. Marriage is a sacred thing. And you've taken that sacred thing and you've broken it. There's always consequences to anger. This sermon came from watching the world explode with anger. I'm watching it. I'm watching this generation completely give in to a spirit of wrath. And, and here's the problem. The problem is that anger out there seeps in here. Because culture is a powerful thing. And when you let the world in to you, you are altered by that. See, we as Christians have chosen a different path. We as Christians are told, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of, the, of your mind, by changing the way that you think. By letting the Holy Spirit influence the way that you think about things. Okay? And so when you don't do that, when you don't allow the Spirit to change your inner man, to change your character, then you, by virtue of nature abhorring a vacuum, have opened the door to the way the world behaves, the way the world thinks, the way the world responds. And if you aren't careful with your affiliations with the world, this is going to be one of the problems that you're going to find you're dealing with all the time. See, so often we make allowances for stuff. See, some of you watch TV all the time, and I know, I know, we try not to, you know, go there. We, we don't want everybody all bothered and stuff, but if you spend any time watching TV, you're an angry person. 
You know why? Because TV's all about anger. All of the dramas have to do with murder and violence. The news is shaped in such a way as to incite you. I got an old, old sermon. Some of you remember it, the Satan's Pulpit. Satan's Pulpit is television and movies and the internet and PC gaming and all of these different things that preach a constant stream of violence and anger and aggression. Come on. You're all looking at me like stained glass saints. Oh, that's not true. I, I watch the elephants on the Serengeti. I don't watch terrible things. You know, they can't even let the, the elephants on the Serengeti get along. The next thing you know, there's a lion trying to eat one of them. Or the elephants are fighting with each other or, or stomping humans into the dust. The bottom line is the world has all of this uh, uh, negative energy, if you want to call it that, going on all the time, and it just seeps in to the fallen nature. It's a fallen world. It's a broken world. Jesus said, I came to give you peace. Why would he say that? Because the world doesn't have any. Because the world doesn't have any. If you let this world affect you, if you let it in, you can have anger issues. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 says, Make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Well, we can apply that to the world because the world is angry. And if you hang out with this world long, you're going to get angry. I don't listen to Rush Limbaugh anymore. I don't listen to Michael Savage. Uh, they may be right, but I can't afford to let that hostility into my head. Because if I hang out with angry people, I get angry. Do you ever get angry listening to Michael? Well, that's not right. That's not right. Kill those liberals. Kill them all. We're supposed to be preaching the gospel to them. We want them saved. I don't want them saved. I want them dead. We're supposed to care for them. I'll care for them. I'll care for them with an AR-15. I'll care for them. You get angry. You get angry. I, I, I don't watch TV. I don't watch movies. Because they reach into your emotions and they play with them. I don't need anybody messing with my emotions. My emotions are hard enough to rein in. I don't need someone or something inciting them. Proverbs 16, 29 says, A violent man entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. This whole world is enticing you to violence. If you don't like it, let them know. People are so uncivil anymore. I fly all the time. People say these things. They, they get upset in a moments of time. You know, there's been a few times when my flights have been delayed. You would think that the news had just come to these people that United Airlines just killed your mother. What? I'm going to be an hour late? Oh, and then comes the second announcement. Well, 
Maybe it's going to be two hours. In fact, we've had to change planes, and it's going to be three hours before it even gets here. At this point, there are people. I, I, I just went through this. There are people at the gate table, literally leaning over and shouting at these poor gate attendants. These aren't, these aren't pilots. These aren't mechanics. They can't do anything. All they do is bring the bad news. You're not getting out of here tonight. <laughs> this is why I hate United, and I hate you, and I hate everybody. I had to pull this guy off. Dude, dude, dude. Listen, you can scream till you lose your voice. It's not going to change a thing. Shh. Peace. <laughs> Jesus loves you, dude. What? <laughs> this is a generation that thinks anger is legitimate. And if I can shout louder than you, I win. Well, that's rubbish. If you join the culture of anger, you will become an angry person. Now, Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Other translations read a gentle response. When anger rears its ugly head, this verse needs to be the first response in your life. Because I'm about to say something, and with what I say, I am either going to escalate the problem, or I'm going to diffuse the problem. I am either going to throw gas on the fire, or water on the fire. Well, which would you do if you have half a brain? Water on the fire. Diffuse the situation. Bring it down a level. Bring it down a notch. Anger always issues forth in words. And I know, James says, that, you know, if you can control your words, you're a perfect man. And So none of us are perfect, and sometimes our words get away from us. But, you know, we really ought to be looking at that. We really ought to be addressing that in our life. And you have to learn how to forge a gentle response in a moment of anger. Because the first words out of your mouth are going to be the most important ones. The first thing you say is going to be the most important thing you say. How many of you have noticed that once the argument is off and running, you don't, you don't even remember what the argument was about? And by the time you're through, all you're doing is trying to destroy the other person with your lips. And things are being said that you would never say. In any other context, but in this context, when it's completely gotten away from you. And that's because instead of just backing off and thinking about what you're about to say, you have just fired back. You have not guarded your words. And that is completely counterproductive. James 1.19 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Slow to wrath. Slow it down. Just wait. Step back. How many of you ever heard your mom or dad say, count to ten? Count to ten. You're so ticked, you go, you go from one to ten like that. 
You counted to 10 by 10s. One ten. Okay, now I'm going to kill you. You got to slow it down. You got to slow the whole thing down. Take a step back and think about where this is going to go if it gets out of hand. Wisdom insists that we learn how to digest a situation before we speak. It's not that hard when you think about it. It's going to be really hard in the thick of it. So you kind of have to work on this while you still have a cool head about you. Before the situation occurs, you have to... You have to let the word of God sink in. You have to say, you know what? I know I've got an anger problem. And I'm, not, I'm just not going to go there. I'm just not going to go there. I'm going I'm to be quiet. I'm going to listen. I'm going to let that person say whatever they're going to say. And I might not like anything they say. And everything they say might be an assault on me. But you know what? If I just... Fire back, then it's just going to get worse. It's just going to get worse. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to be <clears throat> slow to speak. And I'm especially going to be slow to anger. Now, you can tell by our text that Moses was on a bender. When he came out before the people, he was already red hot. And he wasn't stopping, and he wasn't thinking, and he wasn't slowing down. He was full tilt boogie. God had spoken to him and said, look, this is what I want you to do. Had given him a very rational approach. He said, just go out there before the people. Let me do what I do. Let me do what I do. You know, if you would let God do what he does, the explosion can completely fizzle. And there won't be any blood to mop off the walls. And there won't be any broken things to pick up. Because when God gets involved, the grace and the peace of God prevail. The best thing you can do, if you're in a fight with your spouse and you feel the heat coming on, the best thing you can do is say, hey, you know what? Let's go pray. You go to that corner of the house and pray. I'll go to this corner of the house and pray. And we'll meet back in the kitchen in a half an hour. I need to get the mind of God. Is that so hard to do? <laughs> well, just bear in mind, if you don't do that, What's going to happen? Listen to Moses. Listen to Deuteronomy 3, 23 to 27. This is one of the most heartbreaking portions of Scripture in the Bible. At that time, I pleaded with the Lord. How many of you have ever pleaded with the Lord? I mean, it's an inner agony. Oh, God, please. At that time, I pleaded with the Lord. Oh, sovereign Lord, you have begun to show to your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can, who can do the deeds and mighty works you do? Let me go over 
and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country and Lebanon. But because of you, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. That is enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me anymore about this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes since you are not going to cross the Jordan. Moses is begging. But you know what? Moses still hasn't repented. He still hasn't come to grips with it. He says, this is all your fault. That's what he says to Israel. This is all your fault. You're the ones that provoked me to anger. See, it's always justified in our minds. But I don't see God saying to Israel, well, you can't go in because Moses got mad. Who's he holding responsible? He's, he's holding Moses responsible. He's saying, you're not going to get the promise. And I don't want to talk to you about this anymore. I don't want to hear another peep. Like a father talking to his insolent children. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear another peep. Go up there, take a look at everything you missed, because you're not going in. That is a heartbreaking passage. And Moses feels the weight of that because anger always has its consequences. And now he's got to face those consequences and everything he lived for, everything he wanted. I just want to be in the land of promise with the people of God. He's lost to him. This is a cautionary tale. One that we all need to take to heart. Because anger will always cost you more than you imagine. And those words do more damage than you can imagine. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Amen. Heavy words. Let them sink in. I want every head bowed. Every eye closed. The wrath of man or woman does not produce